Greetings to all of you this evening. It's uh, good to be in the house of the Lord again tonight, and welcome to all of you who have come out. Good to have friends from Lebanon Valley here tonight. Thanks for coming, Paul and Janice. Good to see you. And so uh, tonight, children, I have a special time for the children tonight, so children's meeting. Come on up to the front bench here, and uh, we'll have a little story for you. together moms and dads you can do this too 
a way to remember how to pray. Now, with your hands together like that, which one of your fingers is closest to your bottom, to your, to your chin? Now I'm up there. Which finger? Your thumb? <coughs> that, that's what you were going to say. Yeah, your thumb is closest to you. So a way to remember how to pray is, since your thumb is closest to you, we pray for those who are closest to you. And that would include what? Mom, Dad, how about brothers, sisters? How about, uh, would grandmas and grandpas fit in there? Pray for those who are closest to you. Your thumb is closest to you, so that would be a way for you to remember how to pray, okay? So you pray for those that are closest to you. Well now, your next finger is what? This one, right? Called the pointer finger. So, how could we pray thinking about our pointing finger? Well, you can pray for those who point you in the right direction, okay? Point. So who might that include? When you think of somebody who's pointing you or teaching you how to live or how to be obedient children, how about Sunday school teachers? That work? Yeah, they point you to know how to, to tell you stories about Jesus, right? Or someone in the Bible. And uh, what about school teachers? They would be pointing you in the right direction. So that would be a way to remember to pray for people. This finger here. See if I can do this. <laughs> pointing people, uh, people who point you in the right direction. So that would be the second finger. Now the third finger is the longest, right? Put your praying hands together. Is that finger, is that finger is the longest one in your hand? Is that right? Looks that way, right? <laughs> so the longest one is there again to pray for those who lead us. Uh, those in leadership. Well, who might want include? Think of government or whatever that might include praying for the president. The Bible says we should pray for the king. <coughs> so you pray for him or you can pray for your state governor, people with leadership, or in church, pray for your preachers. Uh, pray for your school teachers again, maybe could have been included in that as well. So that would be your third finger. Now, the fourth finger is what we call the ring finger. Can you actually make that one, make that one to stand out like that? The ring finger is the weakest finger in your hand. Did you know that? Maybe to illustrate that, if you tried to pick up maybe a bucket full of water, you think you could do that with that one little finger? You sure? No. You couldn't. <laughs> I don't think you could either. But it's it, it's one that it's a weakest finger in your hand. But it's still very important. So when you think of the weakest finger, a way to remember to pray for people would be praying for those who are poor, those who are sick, okay, those who are maybe hurting. Uh, going through a difficult time in their life, those that are weak. Because it's our weakest finger in our hand, we can pray for people that are weak. And maybe even pray for people that are in prison. Now, the little one is what? They call that the pinky. Little pinky finger. <laughs> okay. And so that's the smallest one in our hands. Right? Smallest finger in our hands. You know who we could pray for? Uh, smallest. The Bible says we should. Uh, what's that song? J O Y J O Y. 
smallest finger could represent you because we're supposed to be last, right? Put others first, Jesus in the middle and ourselves last, something for that. That's what I was thinking. So your little picky finger would be praying for yourself, asking God to help you. So those are, those are five ways to help you understand how to pray. Another story I thought about of a man who prayed a lot was Daniel. Where did they put Daniel? In the lion's den. Yeah, that's right. They put Daniel in the lion's den. But you know why they put him there? Because he was. He prayed. Right? He prayed to God. Now there was a rule made that said you're not allowed to pray other than to the king, right? But Daniel went home to his, his house and he had his window open and he prayed to God. So they threw him in the lion's den and the lions hurt him. You know, they, God delivered him. God delivered him out. And so that's how prayer can work. So you think you can remember how those five areas with praying hands? Put your hands together like that, with praying hands. And so yeah, let's close our eyes and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for prayer. We thank you that we can come to you. We can bring our requests to you. We can pray to you for guidance, for direction. We can pray to you tonight for these children. And we thank you for each one of these children. I pray for their parents. I pray that you would uh, bless them in a very special way as they teach and train these children to live for Jesus. Help them to have wisdom to know how to train them. And help these children to be obedient as they live their life. May you bless each of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. The importance of prayer. <laughs> I want to say here again this evening, my wife and I have been blessed to, to be here thus far, and we're looking forward to the rest of the week with you. And we thank you for your kind hospitality of getting into several of your homes already and looking forward to a few more. By the time the week is out, we will have pleasant memories of this week, and we've been blessed thus far to be here and and look forward to uh, what the Lord has for us for the rest of the week. Tonight, I would uh, thank you to the song leader for leading that song, Oh, to be like thee, our theme song. And my question tonight is, are you uh, growing more like Christ since we started? <laughs> Have you been uh, challenged? I, ha I know I have been, and uh, to be more like Christ. That's a, one of my favorite songs, and I appreciate singing it each night. And so, for our memory verses, turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. And verses 9 and 10. And if there's anyone here who would like to brave it and uh, keep your Bible closed and say it by memory, I'll give you that opportunity as well. And, uh, one brother tried last evening. He did fairly well. Needed a little bit of help, but that's okay. Have you been uh, looking at it every day and trying to do that? Is there anyone? 
Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. There you go. All right. Good. All right. Anyone else want to give it a try? <clears throat> all right. Let's say it all together. First Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right, you can continue to work on that as we go through the rest of the week. If you can memorize it and say it, uh, give you opportunity again tomorrow night. All right, for a message tonight, I uh, want to look at a message on relationships. And I'd invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I want to commend the brother who had devotions tonight. You said you weren't sure why you were called to read those verses out of Matthew. Well, I know why you were, because it, it gave a, uh, an introduction to my message. And you know, God works that way in many ways that we, uh, we don't announce what we're preaching about on ahead <laughs> unless uh, we feel led to at times, but uh, that's the way God works. He led you to that passage as an introduction to what I have to share this evening. Now, when I look at this verse here in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which, without these two ingredients, no man shall see the Lord. Peace and holiness should be the goal in all relationships. Now our society today, and I, I want to say here at the beginning of this message, I am not here to be a prophet of doom. But uh, we live in a broken world, okay? And uh, our society is in relational turmoil from many different levels. Political parties are divided, worse than they probably have ever been. Economically, it seems like companies, large companies and banks are about on the brink of failure and collapse. And one study that I found says that most organizations waste two-thirds of their energy on internal bickering. <laughs> uh, another resource found that only 26% of American employees consider themselves engaged or loyal and productive on the job. While 19% consider themselves actively disengaged, unhappy, and spreading their discontent. And so in, in most employees, uh, if most employees were engaged, productivity could more than double. And you see what's happening because of relationships. 
employees uh, simply have the idea that their job is something to tolerate and if they when they get their check on Friday night they go spend it on whatever and then they come back Monday morning to simply tolerate another week of work and wait till Friday for another paycheck but in the meantime between Monday and Friday they are disengaged and could care less about how much they are helping their employers in their, on their job. And so, what is the key to maybe a reversal or a, uh, a restoration of, of a good work ethic and getting plugged back in? <laughs> I know I'm talking just now about employers and employees. It's a lot broader than that. And tonight, as I consider the whole matter of relationships, I might as well be right up front with you. I'm barely going to scratch the surface again because it's, because it's such a broad subject. But again, I think because we're looking at a broad subject, we want to try to narrow it down and see where we can learn, where we have uh, areas that maybe God wants to show us, where we can improve in relationships that may be are severed, maybe difficult, maybe totally broken. I also want to make clear here tonight that it's not my intent in uh, bringing a message on relationships to pour salt in any uh, wound or difficult relationship that you have. That's not my intent to make anything worse that you're going through tonight. I just pray that God would help us to see where we can uh, maybe learn a few things, learn uh, what God has for us here tonight. And uh, as our society, here in the West at least, in America, moves further and further from God, the issue of relationships will only get worse. And I say that tonight because the foundation of all good relationships is one thing. I talked about it Monday night. What, was your, what is your belief in who God is? My theme verse for this message is Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace and holiness. I also want you to turn a few pages back in your Bibles to James Chapter 3, <clears throat> foundational verses on the importance of relationships. James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, But the wisdom, maybe I should back up here just a bit to verse, uh, to verse 14, where it says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And I would say tonight that on this matter of relationships, I believe there are many in the world that are looking to us as a church tonight who see godly homes functioning the way God planned homes to function. And I believe there are many people in the world today who are looking at that and saying, if I could only have what these people have. Peace is nowhere to be found in so many homes today. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm not here to bring gloom and doom. <laughs> there is a positive side that I want to talk about also. And uh, when we think about relationships, 
Good godly relationships are such a blessing, and I want you to turn to a verse here. Let's, let's look at some positive things as we also consider some areas. Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a very short psalm, but it says this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even on Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of, the garment, of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Ever, even life forevermore. Tonight, as I think about godly relationships, they not, only, they not only honor the name of God, they bring blessings to those who are involved in godly relationships. How blessed it says, or how good. Behold how good and how pleasant. When there's good relationships... There's pleasure. There's peace. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, and because iniquity shall abound, he was talking about signs of his second coming. And he says, because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I don't need to go down a whole list tonight here uh, telling you of our broken world. It's very evident. There's hatred on all levels. People are taking the lives of other people for no reason at all. Hatred is running rampant. And so I asked a question tonight as we, as we consider this and look at scripture. Does it matter? I have uh, a book here by John Koblenz, Getting Along with People, God's Way. And if you have that book and you read it, you'll probably hear some things from there tonight. Because <laughs> there's some things in here that John says that I, I think he says it better than I could relay it to you, and I may quote from there. But he asks a question, does it matter? Does God care about broken relationships today? Does God care when a husband and wife turn their back on each other? Does God care when children go to bed and sob themselves to sleep? Does God care when parents lie asleep, lie sleepless at nights because of a wayward child? Does God care when teenagers stump out of the house in a rage? Does God care when churches fall apart? Does God care about relationships that are so badly broken that humanly speaking, there's no way to restore them? I would say tonight that God cares about every one of those areas that I mentioned and far many more. And as I shared on Monday night about who God is, tonight I want to repeat, God is a loving God and wants the best for his people. He wants the best for his creation. We looked at that. He created in the beginning male and female and and marriages today are falling apart for some of the may I say the most ridiculous reasons but does God care and is it does it matter yes it does matter but tonight on this matter of relationships we all have them but my question is what kind of relationship do you have 
Are they satisfying or empty? Are they superficial or deep? Are they generally, uh, do we generally just get along with people? Or are there, or is there a trial and conflict in our past? Or a trail of conflict in our past is what I meant. Is there a trail of just getting along, just tolerating each other? Or can we have, or do you have, godly relationships? Quote I came across here, I think it's in John's book. Because sin isn't in a place, it's in a person and our problems have the tendency to follow us. And so relocation doesn't free us from our past. We need to reconcile with those we hurt. And finally, obedience is not determined by the outcome. You see, we are required to obey the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of our relationships. Or may I say, hopefully, it is we are obeying Christ because of our godly relationships, and that makes it so much easier, so much better. You know, the psalmist said in, I think it's uh, Psalm 139, Though I make my bed in hell, thou art there. And though I ascend to the heavens, thou art there. You understand what I just said about relocation? People say, well, if I can't get along here, I'm just simply going to move. You heard the story of the man who, who uh, complained about his new neighbors in the new location he moved to, and uh, he started complaining about, you know, well, they do this or they do that, and he had a whole list of complaints about how his neighbor was just not the person he should be. And so then the, the person he was talking to asked him, he said, well, how was it where you came from? <laughs> he had to hang his head and say, okay, you got the message. You know, if you have the same difficult neighbors in one area and you move to another area, maybe another country or wherever you decide to move and you have the same kind of neighbors, maybe you ought to turn the pointing finger inward <laughs> and say, well, maybe, maybe I should look at myself. You know, I'd like to think about in relationships here now, what is our point of reference? Do we have a reference point to have good and godly relationships? I'm not sure if you're in Psalm there where I told you to go to chapter 133. If you are, Let's turn back to Psalm 119 and think about, uh, let's see, Psalm 119, verse 89. <clears throat> we want to talk now a little bit about our reference point for building and maintaining strong relationships. What is our reference point? Notice what it says here in verse 89. Forever, O Lord... Thy word is settled in heaven. You see what I mean about a reference point? <laughs> Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I'm here tonight to tell you, whenever there is relationship difficulties, your reference point should always be the word of God. And relationships can be resolved and restored and made glorious again when we follow the ways of God, the Word of God. Do you believe that tonight? I know God hasn't said that life is going to be easy. But he has a reference point for us. Let's consider a couple other verses here. Verse 128 of uh, Psalm 119. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be what? Right. And I hate every false way. 
So, a reference point? Yes. Let's go to Jeremiah. Looking at some verses here. Jeremiah chapter... Let's go to 17. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Then he asks the question, Who can know it? If you're struggling tonight with a heart that is uh, not at peace with someone, let me remind you that God knows your heart far better than you know it yourself. God is an all-seeing God. What does the Bible says? He knows even the thoughts of our minds before we consider them. He, he knows, you know, he knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about my heart. He knows everything about my thoughts. And the same is true for every one of you sitting here tonight. And so when Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the first point is, is that God knows your heart better than you. And may I also remind you, you should know your heart very well as well. You should know how the thoughts of your mind, what are you dwelling your, your thoughts on? What are you thinking about? The Bible says that out of the abundance of the what? The heart, the mouth speaketh. And so eventually, what's in my mind, whether I'm, uh, whether I'm placing my mind or saturating my mind in the gutters of sin... It's eventually going to come out in my mouth. Eventually, sometime, I'm going to spill it out. That's the way life works. You can't hide it forever. Now let's go back. We're in Jeremiah 2, chapter 10. So Jeremiah for a couple verses. Jeremiah chapter 10 Verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Stop right there for a moment. <laughs> Jeremiah the prophet understood something about the heart or about man. He says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. What was he saying? That it's not in us. To have the answers to life. We don't have the answers. That's why we need the word of God that's established forever in heaven. Our reference point. And so Jeremiah says here, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know, not, that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name, for they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. There's an interesting concept here that Jeremiah talks about. He asks for the Lord to correct him. <laughs> you know, it's kind of almost... You think about this, this relationship Jeremiah had with God, and he says, God, correct me, but make sure it's judgment and not your anger. <laughs> Can you understand what he's saying? I mean, if we were to face the wrath of God tonight, none of us would, would be here. None of us would have any opportunity. But God's a faithful God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. And I say, praise God for that. Because I and myself, I don't have the ways to direct my path. And neither do you when you consider this matter of the heart. And so, thinking about some other aspects here of relationships. Are you getting along with others? is a question. 
How are you getting along with others? Generally, we want to get along with people. Some people have this strange desire called conflict. They enjoy conflict. Well, if you're one of those kinds of people here tonight, I just want to kindly remind you to be extremely careful with your words. When I think about this matter of conflict and somehow maybe getting a thrill out of conflict, I think of a man from the Bible illustrated in the man Moses, and I'm not going to turn back to scripture and look at it, I'll just relate it to you. You understand the life of Moses? You know, Moses went out one day and he saw the Egyptian and Hebrew, I guess, tussling or fighting each other. So what was Moses' response? Well, too often I see myself and Moses and say, oh, we got to correct this. We got to get involved. We got to solve it. You know, here's a problem. And so Moses took it into his own hands. Did he solve the problem? You know, there was, he was reminded about it, what, the next day when he saw two Hebrews having it out. And they reminded him, are you going to treat me the way you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses got out of there. He was found out. Okay. And so Moses, it seemed, where there was conflict... He seemed to be attracted to it. And so tonight, when we think about the matter of relationships, I'd like to just share a, uh, a little bit of a story with you, and this is from the scriptures as well. The account of the uh, Good Samaritan. You know the story very well. There was a pre, you know, a man got injured there along the road, and they left him there to lay half dead. The priest and the Levite came by, and they bypassed on the other side. You know what they were thinking? Well, if I stop and help, what will happen to me? The Samaritan comes by, and it says, the Bible says he had compassion on him. You know what the Samaritan did? He simply flipped that question over and said, if I don't stop and help him, what will happen to him? You see the difference? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm guilty of it as well. I've read that story so many times and I go back and say, well, the priest and the Levite, you know, I can relate to that. They had a busy schedule. They got to get going. They had work to do. Really? It was all centered on me, not him. <laughs> and the good Samaritan says, well, he's going to die if I don't help him. Or he could. And so compassion reached out to him. In relationships, sometimes what I've found is that we need to go the extra mile. You know, Jesus said, in the uh, Matthew 5 there, talking about loving our enemies, the passage we turn to many times on the principle of non-resistance, the principle of loving our enemies. And I believe tonight, if we were to truly take that passage seriously, we can look at illustrations, we can look at events in our life and say, well, I wasn't responsible for what happened. You ever heard that? <laughs> Not my problem. But maybe you were 10 or 15% involved. You know what I'm going to say? Take the percentage of your blame and say, I'm sorry. I know that is not natural. <laughs> Our human flesh coils at that and say, it wasn't my fault. That may be true. But to heal and restore and bring about godly relationships, sometimes 
I've known all about it. You have to shoulder sometimes more of the percentage of the problem and the blame so that you can win a brother or you can win a sister back to a loving relationship. And I know that sounds totally strange. It's not in us to be that way. That's why we need the Spirit of God when it comes to those times of looking at the man who's injured along the road and saying, well, yes, I need to help. I need to do what I need to do. And so the question is here again tonight, are you getting along with others? The next question I have for you is, are you getting along with yourself? <laughs> you might be sitting there saying, what in the world do you mean by that, Jim? Well, I mean that we looked at the event back there in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve fell. And I'd asked you a question. Did the matter of them making a choice to take of the forbidden fruit affect them themselves? Was there any inner conflict that Adam and Eve had? Well, immediately I would remind you of the fact they found some things out that they were not supposed to know. You know what that was? The matter of the knowledge of good and evil. God had a purpose for them not to eat that fruit. So when they did, they immediately were made aware of something that they should not have had access to know. Did that have any inner consequences? Yes, it did. Because their immediate response was they wanted to go hide. We have to hide from God. Why? Because they were exposed. They were totally exposed. And I'm talking about the deed they did, not how they looked. Okay? The deed they did severed a relationship. And I talked about God's wonderful, glorious creation. And the breakdown of a relationship that was godly, was perfect, was shattered. And Adam and Eve, from that point on, I believe, had the guilt within their own heart that we failed God. Do you think they could remember back to the wonderful times that God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day? I don't think it was just that one time that is mentioned there in Genesis 3. I think that was a normal occasion in life. They had a glorious relationship. And so I asked you the question tonight. Are you getting along with yourself? Or do you have events or times in your life, and I, I am not one to go back into your past and dig up whatever is under the blood or anything like that. That's not my purpose here, but I simply ask you tonight, are you really at peace with where you are yourself? Your ministry asked me to share a message Sunday morning for your council meeting. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at a little bit more of that then. So we're going to leave that for now. My next question is, are you getting along with God? Turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, I'm sorry, this goes with my prior point. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> Are you getting along with yourself? Paul cries out here in his writing to the Romans, and he said, I find then a law that is that when I would do good, evil is present with me. 
For when I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This passage has to do with my prior question, and I want to just explain it a bit. Are you getting along with yourself? The Apostle Paul is saying here, he is wrestling with the flesh and the spirit. Now, what is uh, reference of uh, chapter Romans chapter eight? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so, the the uh, the wrestling that Apostle Paul writes about in chapter seven here is the matter of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Are you getting along with yourself? Are you able to say tonight that yes, you are following the Spirit and you're not walking after your fleshly desires? That's where the battle is. And so as we move on now and think about this matter of getting along with God. You know, there's an illustration that I'd like to go back into the Old Testament and just uh, look at this uh, experience a bit. Turn back to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel um, 16. There's an experience here of David. 2 Samuel 16, this is uh, the experience of the The, uh, the man called Shimei, he was a servant of Saul. And we understand the setting here that David knew on many occasions Saul wanted David's life. He wanted to take David's life. And so you have here in this chapter a setting where this, this man Shimei is sent by Saul and he comes out and, and uh, starts talking to David. And I think I'll break in reading here at verse 5. And when, and when King David came to Baruam, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerar, Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, come out, come out, thou bloody men, man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a, a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? Let, now I underline these words in my Bible. We're talking tonight about relationships. Listen to what David says. So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David, who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? Verse 11, And David said to Abishai, and to all his servants, behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. The setting here is, 
David understood that Shimei had brought false charges. What Shimei said in verse 8 was total uh, false, totally false. David understood a few things here. David understood that Saul was after his life. Shimei was sent by Saul to vindicate him and curse David. And so he concluded in verse 11, because David understood that this is a false charge, he said, let him alone and let him curse. My point here is tonight, David understood a very clear principle that I'm going to turn to another scripture and explain that a clear conscience will allow you to be silent when false charges are made. A clear conscience will allow you and God will bring blessing in your life when false charges are brought and you remain silent. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 to bring that thought a bit more clarity. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You see the importance of having a good conscience? And I know that when difficult relationships come, and sometimes they get very ugly, it's not within us as men, at least I'm confessing that to you here, <laughs> it's not within us to remain silent. We, in our humanness, say we must set the stage straight. And I say tonight, God give us wisdom when it's time to remain silent in the midst of false accusations. And I simply give you the illustration of our Lord Jesus. When the Jews railed on him, they created, they, they caused him all kinds of pain and suffering. Did he say anything? The Bible says that his silence even made People marvel. And I say, what an example in our Lord that I sometimes need to back up, take a deep breath, and just say, thank you, Lord. Because of him living in my heart, because of the Holy Spirit directing me and you, sometimes silence is the best response. Now, I might say, that may not be always the best response. Sometimes clarity needs to come. But sometimes silence will prove the point and truth will be exposed much better when we're silent. So finally, tonight as I bring this to a close, I would ask a few more things or I would like to just go over a couple more points. What does God want in a relationship with you? What does God want in a relationship with you? Well, the Pharisees questioned to Jesus, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39. And what did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and etc. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These two, he said, are the greatest commandments. And so what does God want in a relationship with you? He simply wants you to honor him, to obey his commands, to love him with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. And when we do that, I believe difficult relationships around us with those we live, with those we work with, with those we, 
worship with or anyone else on your list, those relationships will be able to be worked through. When our total dedication and obedience and building our reputation, building our character, building our, our uh, yeah, our, our demeanor, our relationship with other people will be able to be worked through when our total allegiance is to obeying God, loving God, and doing what he wants us to do. God wants us to know him. And again, I go back to Monday night. We understand who God is. He wants to know us as well. Becoming a man or woman of God is a lifelong experience. Many years ago, through a difficult time in my life, I had an older brother put his hand on my shoulder and said, Jim, I just want to encourage you that God, in making a man of God, takes a lifetime. And I said, thank you. Because at that time, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. But praise God for loving relationships that come alongside when we need each other. And I can tell you as a congregation, you're always in need of each other. Because that's how we can maintain a relationship with God that is pleasing. And thirdly, God wants us to obey him. Yes, he does. It was an act of disobedience that severed man from God, and those who return to God return to obedience. It's fairly simple. <laughs> and so tonight, I ask you, how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with yourself? Are you truly at peace with where you are? And thirdly, how is your relationship with others? Like I said before, I've come here this week not to, uh, and I, I, I don't understand, I don't know what all you're going through, what all your relationships are whether they're difficult or whether they're godly and honoring and going wonderful. Praise God for the glorious relationship that we can have that honors God and is encouraging to each other. But if it's not that way tonight, I'd like you to think seriously about that as we uh, close the service tonight. I'm not going to give an invitation because I'd like you to think about it seriously. And if there is someone that you have a broken relationship with and you need to go and make things right, I encourage you to do that. Sometimes when an invitation is given and you respond, I know how it works. You say, oh, I need to go see this brother tomorrow. But tomorrow passes us by so I want you to think seriously about how are you doing in your relationship with God and with others thank you all for coming tonight I think we'll conclude here and uh, invite you to come back tomorrow evening and keep praying I can tell that you're a praying congregation I can feel it as I get into my study in the mornings and Prepare the next message. I can tell people are praying. So thank you for that. God bless you. Shall we stand for a closing prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening with grateful hearts once more that we can uh, come to you and you have told us to bring our cares to you and you will care for us. I thank you for each one that has come out to this service this evening. And I pray that you would help them to search their heart and may be sure that all things are right and pleasing in their relationship with you, first of all, in their relationship to peace in their own heart, and also in their relationship with others. 
God, help us all to have a good night, grant us safety as we travel, and may your grace and mercy be upon us as we gather again tomorrow. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and ever. Amen. Depart in peace. <clears throat>